When Chitauri aliens invaded Earth in 2012, the Battle of New York began. Humanity's defeat seemed a foregone conclusion, yet against all odds, the Avengers assembled. They worked together to bring about an unprecedented victory. If you're lost right now, I just interject to say, uh, I'm sharing an illustration based on a fiction, in case that wasn't apparent, Um, but this is not going to help you be any less lost. At any rate, one of my favorite moments in the film comes when the out-of-pocket Bruce Banner rides into New York City on a motorcycle. He pauses to have a somewhat casual conversation with the rest of the Avengers until the battle around him intensifies. And Captain America says to him, Dr. Banner, now might be a good time to get angry. Bruce Banner responds, That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. And he proceeds to transform into the Incredible Hulk. And well, smash. We come to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to focus primarily on verse 26 this morning, and and we find in the host of imperatives that comprise the back end of chapter 4, one that sticks out like a sore thumb. It arrests our attention a little bit, strikes us as awkward. Be angry. So ask some questions about this command from Paul today is, sinful to be angry? Is there such a thing as Christian anger? Should Christians be like the Incredible Hulk, always angry? Before we get there, though, we need to locate ourselves in the midst of Paul's argument. Remember, Ephesians is made up of two major sections. The first three chapters are all about doctrine. How we become Christians. What God has done to take us from being dead in our sins at enmity with Him to make us alive in Christ. We learn that we who have come to Christ and placed our faith in Him have done so because of His gracious choosing of us before the foundation of the world. He set His love on us. Sent Christ to die for us. So that when we put our faith in Him, Jesus' death would be counted as our death, and Jesus' life would be counted as our life. It's through faith in Christ that we become adopted into God's family. And now in the second half of Ephesians, these second three chapters, we're told about devotion. How to live now that we've been made alive to God. As if Paul is saying, you've been adopted into the family of God, and now you're to live up to the family name. You have been born again, and now you must learn to walk, not according to the way of the world, but according to the call to which you have been called, in the way of love, in the way of Christ. That idea of walking is present throughout chapter 4. You see it there in verse 1. He urges us, that is the church, all y'all, the you is in the plural, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We see it again in verse 17 when he tells us to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We sing, do not walk like the world walks. And then you can see in, in verse 2 of chapter 5, 
walk in love as Christ has loved us. And we'll see it again as we work through Ephesians. This idea of walking is, is tantamount to how you live. Right? He's telling us, now that you are in Christ, you need to live differently. And so we've hung kind of this idea over the whole chapter, and we've actually set it with a different image, one that Paul provides in verses 22 through 24, where he says to put off your old self, the old man, literally, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is encouraging us to be off with the old and on with the new. We want to be done with that old way of living, and now we want to live according to the new nature we've been given, according to our union with Christ. And so he's giving us some instructions to help us do that. And probably the, the main two that, that I want to pull out anyhow in this chapter are maturity and unity. You see the concern uh, with unity from verse 3, right? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. You're called the one hope and on down the line. He wants us to be unified around sound doctrine, the doctrine that he's just taught. Unified in Christ and committed to the same truths. You see, that's his concern. In verse 14, after he tells us that uh, he is, Christ has given the church teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the end of building up the body of Christ, building up the body in maturity, in love, into mature manhood. And then we see, verse 14, right? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We want to believe the truth and speak the truth rather than lies. We, we need to take notice that human cunning and craftiness are not, not the only thing that is nefarious in the background here. Right? You see, if you look at verse 27, it says, Give no opportunity to the devil. You see, Paul is, is encouraging the Ephesians and us to grow up in Christ, into maturity and unity. We need to live it out practically together. And he's situating those aspects of the Christian life in the midst of war. I don't think we think about it often as Americans, but the Christian life is lived in the context of spiritual warfare. Paul's going to be more explicit about this in chapter 6 when he tells us to outfit ourselves with the full armor of God. But that reality is no afterthought here. He wants us to be off with the old, on with the new, to be growing up in Christ, to stop living as children, ignorant about the things of God. Right? He wants us to, to know the truth about God. He wants us to live in step with the Spirit, to walk according to the truth. And he's saying, and be careful, because as these things build up the body of Christ, build you up into what you are to be, there is an enemy at work. Give him no opportunity. And so we've kind of set up this really big outline. It's the, the big picture outline there for you uh, if you want to look at your insert. 
And it kind of gives you four sermons that we preach, right? We want to make sure that we give the, the devil no opportunity. Because Satan tries to destroy unity by taking advantage of the way we speak, by utilizing our anger, our old habits, and, and grudge bearing. And today, we are talking about anger. And you can see today's outline there is just two parts, right? We're going to follow along with the text. We're going to encourage you to be angry and to not be angry. Well, that's not exactly clear, but hopefully it will make sense by the time we conclude this morning. All that in mind, main idea, off with the old, on with the new, and exhortation, grow up, give no opportunity to the devil, be angry and do not sin. Let's pray and read the text together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today in the name of Christ. We ask that he would be glorified. Pray that you would bless this gathering. That you would give us a foretaste of heaven, an encounter with your presence, and that you would cause us to rejoice in your spirit. Mature us, God. Bring to us a deeper knowledge of you a greater devotion to you and to one another. Build this church up in love and into Christ-likeness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 25. Therefore, that's in light of all that has come prior you have been joined together with Christ. You're adopted into the family of God. And so, therefore, you need to live in accord with the family name. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Neighbor there is not as broad as Jesus makes it when it extends to anyone that we find in need. Neighbor here has the, the near context of the community of God. We know that because he explains it. For we are members of one another. And so he actually roots the need to speak truth and put off falsehood, not in the character of God who is truth. Not in Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He roots the need to obey this command in our union one with another. Our unity in Christ. And so that's the context that permeates these last seven verses. It goes on. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry. Be angry? Now, some of you read that particular command and you go, all right, awesome. Check that one off. I am an angry person. I've got this command down. I can, I can rage with the best of them. I, that's not what's in Paul's mind here. And to think that way, you, you've misunderstood the command. But, but still, this strikes us as surprising and odd. I mean, your common reader of Scripture comes across this command and is a little put off. So too, the commentators. Right? They take 
great pains and trip over themselves to try to, to, try to twist this imperative a little bit to make it not say what it says. Right? They'll say, well, the verb is in the passive voice. And, and you see in verse 31, Paul actually says, put away all anger and clamor and slander. So he can't mean be angry. The problem with that is the imperative is an imperative. And this is not a conditional statement. Right? The conditional way you would translate it would be, if you get angry, when you get angry, then don't sin. Right? This is not what the text says. The text says, be angry and do not sin. Furthermore, it's a direct quotation of Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, which we read earlier today together. Paul means to say, be angry and don't sin. So still, that seems weird, right? Is it not a sin to be angry? I mean, Yoda does say, anger leads to the dark side. Let's, let's examine this question together. Is it a sin to be angry? I think the best way to answer this question is with a couple questions of our own. First, does God get angry? Is anger a characteristic of God? I will argue, yes. One of the first times, not first times, but one place we see this in Scripture is when God is revealing his name to Moses and his character in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness slow to anger. It means that he gets angry eventually. He just takes his time getting there because he's perfect in patience. Literally, that's translated, this isn't super important, but it's interesting to me. Uh, slow to anger there, if you bring it across literally, it's long-nosed. And it's a picture uh, from, from the ancient world where when animals get angry, what do they do, right? They, or my kids sometimes, they snort angry, it's coming out of their nostrils, you can kind of see it. And the idea is that, that being long-nosed means that your anger is, takes longer to develop. You're slow to anger. The Lord is long of, of nose. He's patient. But He does get angry. I mean, furthermore, we see examples of God's anger throughout Scripture. Right? I can count many times when we were going through the book of Exodus where we read about God's anger burning against Moses and against the, the grumbling Israelites. But perhaps where it's most evident that God gets angry are in his great acts of judgment throughout Scripture. Think, think very early on to the flood. God is grieved over man's sin, and so he destroys all humanity, with the exception of Noah and his family, with floodwaters. I mean, I know we like to, to dress that one up, put it on a flannel board, and you know, we buy kids toys of like Noah's Ark, and the animals are so cute. They're going two by two, getting into the Ark. And, and we leave out the fact that the rest of humanity is being eradicated from the face of the earth by way of water, the waters of judgment. 
God is expressing His anger through His wrath in the flood. We also see in the ten plagues of Egypt, God is getting glory over Pharaoh and He is expressing His anger at sin and at the idolatry that is characteristic of Egypt. Wrath is an expression of His anger. We see it, maybe most shockingly, in the exile. God judges the sins of His people and sends them out of the land which was promised to them. Second Chronicles details the final events this way. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers. He's patient. Because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people. Until there was no remedy. God's anger is righteous and good. It is His right response to evil, and it is always in accord with His holy character. God gets angry at sin. God hates the wicked, and He does so rightly because He is good. In fact, all the judgments in Scripture are both a preview for us and a warning. They are a preview of and a warning about the last day, judgment day, where every man, woman, and child, every person that's ever lived will be rightly judged by God. and sentenced, if they are apart from Christ, to an eternity in hell where God will express His anger forever and ever and do so rightly to His glory because He is just and good. There is a judgment day coming. And these judgments throughout Scripture are meant to, to show us a picture of how awful that eternal judgment will be. And they're meant to, to warn us, to turn our attention away from, from ourselves, away from our idols, and to Christ Jesus. They're, they're to put judgment day in our view and then turn our eyes to, to Good Friday. You see, on Good Friday, Jesus is made to be the substitute for all who trust in Him. So, so for the Christian, and perhaps you too, non-Christian, if you'll put your faith in Christ, Judgment Day gets taken out of the future and put on Good Friday. 
all the righteous anger that God has towards you because of your sin, He pours out on Christ Jesus. You get to have all the righteousness of Christ and the blessing that He has earned from God because the penalty that you have earned is paid by the blood of Christ. God hates evil. He is angry towards wickedness. He's long-nosed, His kindness and His patience are meant to lead us towards repentance, but there comes a day where His patience runs out and His anger is rightly expressed. That's, that's the good news of the Gospel, right? Is that the anger and wrath God owes us have been absorbed by Christ for us so that we can enjoy the grace and love and blessing that only Christ deserves. The penalties for our sins, Jesus paid it all. The anger and wrath owed to us, Christ has dealt with. We sing, right? On the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, we live. God gets angry. And He's also very gracious and loving. So that any who comes to the substitute that He has provided, anyone who comes to Christ Jesus through faith, can live. Non-Christian, believe this good news. Trust not in yourself or in circumstances, but in Christ Jesus, who is dead, buried, and is raised, and Christ who will return. Christian, rejoice that our God doesn't sweep evil under the rug, but deals with it. Our God will end all evil. Rejoice that God doesn't crush us, but sent Christ to die for us. Christian, rejoice that Jesus died so that you might be forgiven. Rejoice that Jesus is raised so that you might be free from death. Rejoice that Jesus is returning so that we might forever together glorify God and enjoy Him. Rejoice, Christian. Our God is good and He is just. Therefore, he gets angry. God gets angry. But you say to me, still, we shouldn't get angry. That can't be what Paul means here. Because God, well, he's God. He's in a different category than us. That's true. God is in a different category than us. But we are to be like him. Still, let's ask just a second question if you're your concern is that men shouldn't be angry. God gets angry. Let's just ask, does Jesus, who is fully human, fully divine, the God-man, does Jesus get angry? And the answer is yes. When I was with uh, some of the guys on Wednesday night, they immediately brought up uh, when he 
restores the temple. He gets that, that cord, of whip, that whip, and chases people, the, those who are buying and selling, who have turned the house of prayer into a den of robbers, he chases them out of the place. He turns over tables. Jesus has holy anger, and his holy anger works to make things right. Well, the only place Jesus gets angry, I mean, he pronounces the woes in Matthew 23 as he identifies false teachers. He promises God's judgment throughout his ministry. And he is grieved and angered by those who are hard-hearted. Look with me at, at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We read this. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a, a withered hand. And they, that's the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus gets angry, and yet is without sin. Friends, anger in and of itself is not sin. Anger, holy anger, is consistent with God's character. And so, it is right for Christians to be angry at certain times in certain ways. I think, and this will come up a few times, the primary distinguisher, I don't know if that's the best word, what, what makes it clearest when we are experiencing and acting out of righteous anger versus unrighteous anger, goes back to Paul's analogy. Remember we said, uh, put off the old, put on the new, right? We want to take off those 2020 sweatpants and we want to put on our church clothes. So the, the old man, the old self, if you remember back in, in 22, is typified by a corrupt manner of life and deceitful desires. See, the old man is ruled by his passions. We see that back in Ephesians 2 as well. And so, sinful anger, which most of us are most familiar with, is identified by its connection with the old life and sin itself. I think really you can tell anger that is sinful, that dishonors God, is in control of you, which usually means you're out of control. 
Whereas righteous anger, godly anger, is controlled by the Spirit of God and love. So Christians ought to be angry sometimes. Angry about the things that make God angry. Love what John Stott has written. He says this, I go further and say that there is a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. We human beings compromise with sin in a way in which God never does. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant. Angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, His people should hate it too. If evil arouses God's anger, it should arouse ours also. Are you apathetic about sin? It is right to be angry at evil. Things like abortion, injustice, promiscuity, the degeneration of marriage, sex trafficking, abuse. These things and more should make us angry. Evidence that the world's not the way it should be, that sin has fractured things. We should be angry at sin. And holy anger works and prays to the end of making things right. And so we might take up any number of these causes work so that there might be an end to pornography and sex trafficking, so that we might help abuse victims. These are, are good expressions that our anger might, might lead us, good actions that our anger might lead us to take. Holy anger leads to holy action. And we see that in Jesus healing the man with the withered hand and his actions in the temple. Christian anger works not for personal vengeance or because pride has been offended, but it works for justice according to God. I think this is one right application of Christian anger from this text. But I actually think the primary application comes from, from the context. Remember, I pointed this out earlier in verse 25, we're members of one another. And Paul has been encouraging the church at Ephesus, and is encouraging us, to grow in maturity and unity. And I think, at least in part, he's saying there are going to be times when you're in relationship with one another, church, where you're going to be angry. And you should be. And... In that anger, do not sin. Right? Be angry and do not sin. So, so, for example, let's say I started a rumor about Jerry. Right? I'm, I'm spreading this falsehood. Say, Jerry, like everybody knows that oysters are like jello wrapped in snot. They're, they're disgusting. But, but Jerry likes them because he, he was born without taste buds, right? Let's pretend it's not just me trying to be funny, but it's like a serious accusation, right? 
Now, when Jerry hears about this falsehood, he's probably going to be, well, first, he's going to have a gag reflex, right? We talked about last week. He's going he's to, oh, rotten speech, corrupt speech. I don't like that. I'm, ugh. But he should also be a little bit angry because another member of the body of Christ is walking in the way of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that he should you know, start a rumor in response or sit back and, and plot, you know, come up with some evil plot to get me down the road or, or you know, fist fight me. What it means is he should come to me and say, you know, brother, we both know that this is not true. This is a falsehood. You, you need to repent of this. And in this example, I'm just flat wrong. There hasn't been a misunderstanding. And so I, I need to repent and we need to be, be reconciled in an appropriate amount of time. We need to make it right. You see, his anger in this case is holy, it's justified, it's right. And so he, he moves, acts to make the situation right. And he does so, hopefully, in an appropriate amount of time. See the second part, be angry and do not sin. Do not the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Have you ever had a crack in the windshield of your vehicle? It happens to me too much, all the time. And, and I've discovered, as maybe you have, if you don't deal with the crack in the windshield and the seasons change and, and you heat that windshield up and you cool it down, what happens is it starts to spread and, and spiders out. Eventually, your, your whole windshield will become quite fractured. You see, if we, in our anger, don't properly express it and address those things which make us angry with one another, our anger actually festers and turns into unrighteous anger and causes divisions to open up between us. Cracks uh, begin to uh, sparkle and spread throughout the church. Be anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right, a lot of, this is kind of an idiom, and a lot of married couples have this policy, and they kind of paraphrase it, right? Don't go to bed angry. Maybe you live by that. I think it's a good policy to have for the most part. But I always went like, well, what if I get angry with my wife after the sun's already down, right? Not to be angry now? That's not the point of the, the picture there. The idea is that we are to deal with our anger in an appropriate period of time. We're not to, to stay angry and allow our anger to, to grow, like mold on it and to transform into unrighteous anger. Anger can start out righteous and end up unrighteous very, very quick. We want to deal with our anger in an appropriate amount of time. Furthermore, did you see in verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. It's really interesting that, that Satan, maybe not him personally, but those evil powers which are at his command, look at your anger as an opportunity to lead you into sin. Remember that the devil, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. And so when you are angry and you aren't taking care of that anger in a right way, he works really quickly to use that anger in a wrong way. So I think it's really interesting here 
uh, it's translated opportunity, and that's how it should be translated. But the word literally, if you were to be very wooden, means place. Think of this picture. Don't give the devil a place among you. Friends, when we do not appropriately express anger, deal with anger in a timely fashion, we are giving Satan a seat in the congregation. Love what one commentator says. says, we surrender space to a demonic intruder. So that in mind, I say, who might you need to have a conversation with this week so that your anger does not fester? Now, don't, don't get me wrong here. There is plenty of room for graciousness and overlooking one another's offenses and overlooking sin. But if you've been truly offended and are rightly angry, there is wisdom in approaching one another in a Matthew 18 way and saying, let's make this right. This made me angry. Let's reconcile. Who might you need to have a conversation with? And maybe you have something else that's not doesn't rise to that level. You know. What do you need to leave to the Lord? What offenses do you need to overlook so that your anger does not grow, so that the sun does not go down on your anger? Friends, let us overlook offenses. Let us repent quickly. Let us forgive even more quickly. Always giving one another the benefit of the doubt. Let's practice verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's not reserve a pew for Satan. Let's give him no opportunity. Be angry. and Do not sin. When I was a teenager, I used to, with my friends, make pretty large bonfires. And the way that we used to get these things started is not recommended. But we would take, you know, a nice big four to five gallon gas can and just soak the thing, right? And then you'd walk, make a little trail of gasoline, right, all the way over. And, and, and you, you look at the bonfire, you know, it's going to be really cool. And you strike that match and drop it. And woof! I'll never forget, uh, one of my buddies, he didn't do the whole trail thing one time. He was being lazy, I guess. He's like, well, I'm just going to toss a match right here on this lumber right next to it. And I'll, as soon as he dropped that match, his eyebrows were gone. I mean, the, the explosion uh, was, was both a little scary, but also really cool. Eyebrows, clean off. And our anger is like gasoline. It's very volatile. Right? It, can, it can power the engine of your car down the road. And it can also explode and singe off your eyebrows. We we want to be the kind of people who are very careful with anger. We want to make sure that we are not singeing off our eyebrows or the eyebrows of someone else. So we want to try and recognize when we are angry 
why we are angry. Are we angry at something that God would be angry at, and are we expressing that anger appropriately, or are we angry at something we are angry at because we have attempted to play God? One belongs to the old man, and one belongs to the new man. We need not to be deceived by our desires, but to renew our minds, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We don't deal with anger. We don't put it away. It becomes a problem. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that's an old school word for shouting, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do you see the progression there? You have kind of these inward sins, bitterness, wrath, and anger. They start in the heart, and then they end up outward on the lips with shouting and slander. When we don't appropriately deal with anger, when we don't recognize this, this, this holy anger, and I need to act this way, and instead it's just anger, and we act a wrong way, it, it's going to progress. It's going to get worse. It might tear us up inside, or it might come out and burst out of us and hurt those around us. We all have a different approach to, to when we get angry, sinfully so, right? Some of us are, are shouters, and you know when we're angry. That's me. Others of us are smolderers. We get real quiet. We sit back and we stew and stew and stew. It's a cold, quiet rage. Both parties are out of control of themselves. Controlled by anger. I think what's really helpful in, in fighting against sinful anger that we need to put away immediately is recognizing its source. And I think it's just we were talking about this again on, uh, on Wednesday night with some of the gentlemen, was, is, is when we don't get what we want, right? Or when we feel out of control of a situation. These are, are usually the reasons, one way or another, that, that we are having unjustified anger. I think that's true. We all, when we lose sight of who God is, and we try to step into the God role ourselves, inevitably, our plans get disrupted. And that makes us angry. Right? We kind of act like Zeus. Remember Zeus, the, the Greek god? He has lightning bolts, right? And so what happens is, is we, we've planned the way our day ought to go or a situation ought to go, and, and then something happens. And so, you know, bolted, zap, lash out in anger. And so, you know, you're, you're cut off in traffic, you throw that lightning bolt, zap. Long way to the DMV, bolted. You know, your, your wife burnt your waffle, zap, zap. Husband forgot to take out the garbage, bolted. Your parents gave you some extra chores around the house, the gall, zap, zap. Somebody says good morning to you before you've had your coffee. It's the work of the devil. But bolted. We get wrongly angry when we start to try to play God and control 
everyone and everything around us. And the second we realize that we are out of control, our anger boils. Friends, this is the kind of anger that we are to put off. We are to trust God with acting justly. God is God. And we are not. We, we play the part of the fool when we live as if there is no God. When we live as if we can control everyone and everything and get exactly what we want all the time. We need to squash this kind of anger. It does not produce the righteousness of God. Furthermore, maybe we're rightly angry. But even then, there's a time that it needs to be put off. We need to trust God to be God. Look with me at Romans 12, verses 18 and 19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes when we are angry, the end result is to just leave it to the vengeance of God, trusting God to be God and to act in a way that's right rather than holding on to our anger and allowing it to transform into a sinful anger. God is God. He will act rightly and justly. Leave vengeance to Him. And always, always, always stand ready to forgive anyone who has wronged you. Holding on to your anger, being controlled by your anger, will not bring about Results that are honoring to God. James 1, 19-20 Know this, beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be long-nosed. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sinful anger, the anger that belongs to the, the old man, the old self, doesn't bring about the kind of actions that glorify God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But notice, there's some advice in here, right? Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. It is funny how often, when in our anger, if we just take a few moments to slow down, it's like somebody dumped cold water on that burning fire. When we take the, the time to, to listen to those who we are bumping heads with, all of a sudden they become much more understandable. The conflict much smaller. And so two, two kind of easy ways to put off anger. Leave vengeance to God. God is God. You don't need to be. And slow down. Do not let anger control you. Make sure that if you are angry, that anger 
is being controlled by the Holy Spirit and governed by love. Friends, it, it is possible for us by the Holy Spirit to obey commands like this. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we can do it. It's wonderful to know that God has given us the resources that we need. He is equipping us to do that to which He has called us. It's wonderful to know that He is a gracious Father who forgives us when we do fail. God's love empowers us for obedience and forgives our disobedience. His his grace is so great that, that we can exhale because we don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn our relationship with Him. And breathe a sigh of relief. Don't earn it. But in enjoying His grace, we are motivated to put forth maximum effort to honor Him with our actions. Even our anger. The doctrine of our reconciliation with God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone motivates us to the devotion of faithful living, faithful walking. So let's sum it up. Is it a sin to be angry? No. It depends on the anger. Should Christians be angry sometimes about those things which would anger God and that anger should be rightly expressed. Other times they should not be angry. They should put it off. Should Christians be characterized by anger? No. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our secret isn't always being angry like the Incredible Hulk. The secret is depending on the Holy Spirit of God and always being governed by love like our incredible God who loved us and sent Christ to die for us. Friends, it is in light of the wonderful work of God that we can be off with the old, on with the new, that we can grow up into what Christ has called us to be, giving no opportunity to the devil. Friends, let us be a people who honor God, people who can be angry and yet not sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We we thank You for the way that it it challenges us and shapes us and sharpens us and calls us into deeper relationship with You and with one another. We thank You for the challenge it is to speak the truth with one another all the time, to reconcile our differences when we are angry, to, to be angry and to not sin, but we pray that You would motivate us to be a people who are marked by grace and love, a people who appropriately express our anger when we wrong one another, a people who are angry about the things that make you angry and work to make things right. We pray also that you would help us to recognize sinful anger when it's welling up within us and to put it off, to put it away, 
trusting that you are the God of justice. And that vengeance is yours. Trusting you to be God and worshiping you as you deserve. Help us, those of us who have received your grace and mercy and are born again, to walk, learn to walk in love as Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.